All right, moms, I want to engage you this morning up front. I hear tell that moms don't really have any privacy. That moms don't really have times when they can be alone. That it seems like they can't get away from questions. Little eyes. Big eyes sometimes. And it's like you can't even go to the bathroom, right? Little fingers sticking up underneath the door or something. Or, hey, mom, 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 where's mom? Anybody see mom? <sighs> Is that true, moms? Is it true? I, I, I don't know. I'm not a mom, so I don't know. I've just heard. Hard to find private time. Hard to take a shower. Hard to go to the bathroom. Hard to step outside and sit on the porch and drink your coffee. Because you're always needed, right? Quit being so stinking important. Maybe this wouldn't be happening. And some of you are saying, if our husbands would get a clue, maybe I wouldn't be so important. Maybe the kids could ask him where their socks are because he doesn't know. Those kids are pretty persistent. Your husband's pretty persistent. So just get this picture in your head, okay? Your kid is sitting on the couch. You're somewhere where you're by yourself, whether it's in the bathroom or outside or somewhere. And the kid's like, Mom! 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 They don't, no answer. What are they going to do? They're going to get up, and they're going to start looking for you. And they're well-trained, and they know your hiding spots, okay? They know probably where you just might be. She's probably in the bathroom. So they come to the bathroom. Mom! You're rolling your eyes at this point, and you're trying to be quiet, hoping that they don't find you. Little fingers, and all of a sudden... Mom! Mom! What? I just didn't know where you were. (laughs) What's for lunch? I don't know. Give me two minutes. We'll talk about it. Persistence, right? Nothing more persistent than a kid when a mom's trying to get away for a minute or two, right? Susanna Wesley used to pull up her apron over her face. She had 14 kids, I think. It was a bunch. And she made a rule, when mom's got the apron over her face, leave her alone. No mom when the apron's over the face. Maybe that's something you like, I don't know, I don't know, just something to think about. Of course, it would look funny, oh, mom's got the apron over her face, we better be quiet. Persistent, man, persistent. You're not going to get away. And now we've got cell phones, they'll text you, they'll call you, they'll FaceTime you, whatever, they're going to find you. And even adult children, right? You can't get away from them. They're going to find you. They're going to call. They're going to text. They're going to Facebook message. They're going to FaceTime. They're going to do whatever it takes. And, and then if you don't answer, they're going to call their siblings and say, have you seen mom? Do you know where mom's at? I get it all the time. My sister will call me, have you seen mom? I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't know. I'm at work. I don't know where mom is. Persistence. Why? Why are they so persistent? Why are we so persistent in finding mom? Because mom gets stuff done. Mom knows where stuff is. Mom can help. When all else fails, mom's going to take care of business. 
Well, today, we're going to talk about approaching Dad and being persistent. But not like me, not like us guys. I'm not approaching our Heavenly Father and being persistent on purpose because we know He's going to take care of things. Okay? We are going to read in our out loud reading today, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. We covered 1 through 6 last week. But this passage demands that we read the whole context or we miss it. We'll talk about that later. So if you would stand, we're going to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. I'm kind of hard to believe we're almost at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Hard to believe we've been in it so long. It's kind of both for me. But what incredible words. And we stand and recognize that God Himself is speaking and has spoken. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Wow. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we come needy and hungry. And we're asking you for bread and fish this morning. Feed us from your hand, from your table, for your good pleasure, for your glory. Convict us, draw us, heal us, save us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, excuse me. We left off last week out of a pretty tough passage, don't you think? Wow. Wow. But we saw last week that we are not to judge in a condemning manner and that we are to make sure we know when to correct someone and when not to. Deal with your own stuff, your own log and your own eye so that you can see clearly to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. And we saw that we're not supposed to give what is holy to dogs and not cast our pearls before the pigs because it will only hurt you. Because they're going to trample the holy stuff, the pearls, and they're going to turn and trample you. So we kind of left with some tension as who to judge, how to judge, when to judge, and such. And just let me say, it's not easy, is it? I think we left last week, all of us, if if we were engaged in the message, with a lot of questions. So let me ask you personally, individually, how are you doing 
with differentiating between who needs help, who's just getting on your nerves, and who will hear what you say and who won't. How are you doing with that? It's not easy. I'm not very doing very good neither, y'all. So what are we going to do about it? How are we going to handle it? had a lot of people over the course of the week, starting after the message last week, all the way up through this week. I had a lot of people approach me and ask me, how is this supposed to work? How is this supposed to look? What about this situation or that situation? What if it's a family member? What if it's somebody on the internet? Fill in the blank. We got a lot of caveats, a lot of, and I, this is going to sound bad, and I don't mean that. We got a lot of gray area here. Because let me tell you, right is right and wrong is wrong, but we live in a world of gray, y'all. It's hard to make decisions based on right and wrong in this world. We have to, hence what we're looking at today. But we've got to ask ourselves, what do we do in each individual situation? Well, today addresses exactly what needs to happen. And in all honesty, this passage today should have been covered with the passage from last week. It just wouldn't... I, sorry, couldn't do it. Couldn't fit it in the time slot. We went 54 minutes last week. I don't think that six minutes would have been enough to cover this. Okay? So, keep in mind today, and this is imperative. Imperative. Very important. If you don't know what imperative means... It's very, very, very important to keep in mind today that what we're looking at today is directly related to last week. Directly related to judging and seeing clearly and discerning good and evil, right and wrong, and how to deal with the human relationships in your life. And I think if we're not careful... We see these passages here in chapter 7 like they're just kind of random thoughts, little proverbs here and there dropped in by Jesus to end His message real quick. And that's not what's going on. Jesus is a much better preacher than that. The Holy Spirit is a much better compiler of the things that were said than that. These are not randomly spewed out. And if we look at today's passage outside of the context of last week, we miss the whole point. So, let's look at verses 7 and 8 to start out this week. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be Opened. So, as we approach this passage today in light of last week, and we see the context here, we should seek, we should ask, seek, and knock. And so many times I've heard this passage preached as just a prayer passage. It's just about prayer. And this is about prayer, but it's not just about any oh random prayer. This is not just about when you pray. Notice he didn't say that. He came out of, don't give what's holy to the dogs, don't cast your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them and turn on you. Ask. And if we're not careful, again, we miss the connection. So this is not just about prayer. This is about prayer relating to how do we conduct our human relationships, especially when we're trying to differentiate between what's right and wrong 
And how do we deal with the person in front of us or in front of us on the screen, whatever it may be? So this is about discernment. This is about right and proper judgment in human relationships, this asking, this seeking, this knocking. And when we get to verse 12, which we call the golden rule, if we take it out of context of the full passage, we miss the total point of what's being said. So let's see what we need to see in today's passage, especially in light of last week's passage. So we read verses 7 and 8. So connect that to the end of last week's passage. Holy... Not to dogs, casting pearls. And Jesus is saying that it's important to look for direction in determining these things. But how should we look for that direction? Jesus is very specific. Verse 7 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. So, ask, seek, knock. Why those words? Why that order? Why those rewards to those actions? Well, let's look at it step by step. First, ask, and it will be given to you. Again, in our context, the first thing we need in our discernment, in our knowing who and how to help without condemnation or hate, we should ask God about what to do. Now that seems very simplistic, but there you go. Sometimes the most obvious things are the easiest things. And sometimes the easiest things are the things we're not doing. Ask. The verb for ask, like the ones for seeking and knocking, the verb for ask is a present active imperative verb. Ask, do it now, in the present, you do it actively, and do it in obedience to a command, which makes it an imperative in your life. It is essentially saying, keep asking. Be asking consistently. This is a call for constant asking because who of us can't see that it takes constant discernment to be what we need in this world today, especially in light of our relationships with each other. If you just had one relationship, you would still need to keep asking. But anybody live in a world where you just have one relationship? No. I don't know how many you've got. Tens? Hundreds? Thousands? I don't know. So in these relationships and how we deal with each other, we should keep asking. As long as now is now, and it's always now, we should be asking. How do I relate to this person? How do I respond to this person? We have a crafty enemy as well who knows how to deceive us. And we live in the midst of a world that is so confused and so confusing that if we're not consistently grounding ourselves in truth and divine guidance we will be confused ourselves. Anybody on Twitter? If you're not, just don't. Let me just say that, okay? Everybody on Twitter is just mad. And the nuances of what's right and what's wrong, what's biblical, what's helpful or whatever, makes it hard to know on Twitter whose 280 characters accurately portray the heart of God. So I'm like, I'll read something by somebody and then I'll see that somebody who is biblically sound doesn't like what they said. And I'm going, oh, maybe I shouldn't have liked that. I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't have retweeted that. Am I wrong? Am I right? I don't know. So I have to constantly be asking, what about this? I have to keep going to God and saying, Abba, what is right here? Or maybe it's something that's obviously wrong. Then I've got to ask, okay, God, how should I respond to this? Or maybe should I respond to this? Let me just say as far as social media goes, probably the safest thing is just leave it alone. 
You're not going to fix anything with your cyber courage and your anonymity and your, oh, I'll get this last jab in. You never get the last jab in. So generally on social media, just don't. Don't even start typing a response. That's the safest thing. You're talking about casting your pearls before pigs. They're out there for the whole world to see. And let me t- I promise you, especially on social media, they're going to turn and trample you. I promise you. And it's out there for everybody to see. So just don't. Sorry. It's bonus. Stop. Just stop it. It's not worth the cyber hassle. Let's say that. But as far as asking and consistently asking, what a habit to develop. What a posture to go through life with anyway, right? Asking. And asking before responding or engaging. Ask God if and what you should respond to. Because let me tell you what, it's easy to just snap back online or in person. It's our reflex, isn't it? It's our tendency to lash out or defend ourselves or seek what we want, bam, as soon as we're offended. But we should rather ask first. Because when we ask, when we ask, Jesus says, it will be given to you. Now that's pretty clear, right? That doesn't take a pontificator to pontificate upon. Ask and it will be given to you. There's no ambiguity there. Ask and it will be given to you. Now remember, this is not a blank prayer check. You can cash whenever you want and for whatever you want it for. That's not the context. This is in relation to discernment and dealing with your own log and knowing who and when to respond. You ask about that. You keep asking about that and it will be given to you. Not much need for explanation there, is there? As plain as it can be when we take it in context. Ask and it will be given to you. Keep asking and it will keep being given to you. This is a definite answer to your asking. And if you keep asking, you'll keep getting what you're asking for given to you. It'll keep happening. Now let me ask you something. Is that good news? Yeah, you bet it is. But Jesus doesn't stop there. Remember our kid on the couch? Mom! Mom! Mom doesn't answer. So is the kid satisfied and just give up? No. No. Seek, and you will find. Again, the word is literally keep seeking. It's a next step in intensity after asking, it seems. One would ask someone they were in direct contact with. Sometimes it seems that the discernment that we need is a little hard to ascertain. For whatever reason, it may be our fault, maybe somebody else's fault. It may just be that we've got to push on. Ask, yes, but also seek. It's a little more active. You're going to look for something when you seek it. you got to maybe move a little bit of stuff. Oh! All the guys in here are going, what? What? It's right there. I can't see it. It's right there. So maybe you got to move something. That's what my mom used to say to me all the time. Maybe you should move something. I did. I moved myself, okay? Maybe you got to change your tactics, or maybe you got to change your surroundings even. Do things you haven't done before when asking isn't giving you the discernment that you need. Again, how many times have you heard your kids or your husband say, I can't find it. 
But really they haven't looked anywhere for it. They're sitting on the couch saying they can't find the remote. Sorry, that's life slipping out on me there. Well, look for it. Get up. Move. Don't just ask where it is. Don't just say you can't find it. Go look for it. So many times we find ourselves stuck in a situation asking God to do something, show us something. God, speak. God, move. Whatever. And here Jesus says sometimes we got to seek. we got to keep seeking. Now God's not hiding from us, but the answer we need may be hiding in a lot of different ways. We ask and keep asking, but nothing's changing. There's no clarity, no certainty as to what we should or shouldn't do. Well, seek. Well, what is seeking? Seeking is seeking insight in your praying. Seek counsel from godly people. Seek wisdom in the Word. See your situation and your need in light of the light you are purposefully seeking out. And if you seek, Jesus says, you will find. And then Jesus also says to knock or keep knocking. And again, the ladies are saying, Amen. Yep, I know what that's about. Please leave me alone, kid. Sometimes the answers we asked for, the wisdom we sought, is behind a closed door. Well then, knock. Keep knocking. Because when you knock, it will be open to you. Don't settle for seeing that what you need or asking for is behind a closed door. Do something to get that door open. Now note, it doesn't say kick the door down. That's not your job, nor is it needed. Why? Because if you knock and keep knocking, it will be open to you. Now what are we talking about again? In the context of discerning how to relate to people in certain situations every day in our lives, ask, seek, knock. It's not your place to make it happen. It's not your place to get things done on your terms. You're going to God and you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking. Ask, seek, and knock. All are necessary at times. So keep on doing them all. And when you do, you will receive. You will find and it will be open to you. And who is this for? It's for all of Jesus' disciples. Again, look at verse 8. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. Do you see that? For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Everyone, the one, the one. This isn't for special Christians who spend their lives in private devotion to God, secluding themselves from the world. No, this is for anyone who asks, seeks, and knocks and who need help in the midst of their human relationships. Jesus wants us to know that our Abba, our Father, hears us when we are trying to figure out what He would have us to do in our human relations. If we are coming to God to help us with dealing with our families, our friends, our enemies, our brother, dogs, pigs, and more, we will, all of us, each of us, be answered. Why? Because God is our Father. Have you heard that any recently here? God is our Father and He wants to help us in these intricate, hard-to-navigate situations. He wants to be our go-to when we need help and understanding. 
He wants us to filter all of our relationships and all of our responses within those relationships, especially the ones that require some work and discernment, filter them through Him. He wants us to be conversing with Him, searching for answers from Him, and calling for Him when we can't see clearly. When things are hard, He wants us to ask Him for help. And this is really, really important, especially in light of interrelating with others. Listen to me. We can't just trust our gut. We can't just go with our instincts and for heaven's sake, literally, just follow our emotions and how we feel. We can't. Your emotions aren't bad, but they are a terrible master. They will crack the whip on you. But God, on the other hand, is constant, wise, holy. And listen to me, God is longing to help us to the point of making sure we know that He will answer us and help us. You want a better illustration? Well, Jesus gives us one. Verses 9 and 10. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Are you not sure if God will really help you? You say, but He hasn't really in the past, and I've asked, and I've seeked, and I've knocked, and I haven't really seen any help. Will God help you in this discernment in your human relationships and how to respond? Are you questioning whether or not your Father will answer you? Well, Jesus contrasts God, our Heavenly Father, with the tendencies and actions of earthly parents. He says in verse 9, Or which one of you, if your son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Now, is there anybody in this room that would do that? I mean, really. Daddy, can I have a piece of bread? No, dummy, but here's a rock. <laughs> and they're like, what in the heck is going on here? That's not what we do, right? Nobody, I don't guess. Is that mean or that... I don't even know what to call that. I don't think. Or if your kids ask you for some fish to eat, would give them a serpent. I mean, it's ludicrous, right? And it's supposed to be. Jesus is using a blatantly overstated, preposterous statement to show how we know naturally how to answer our kids, even when we don't want to. They ask for what they want, what they need, and we give it to them not something contrary to or in opposition to what they're asking for. That's what parents do, right? Naturally. So what about God? Verse 11. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Aha! And here we go. Here's what Jesus is trying to get us to see in this little section talking about parents and kids. We've been looking at asking, seeking, and knocking with assurance that we will get what we're looking for. So, if natural kids ask natural parents for bread or fish, they don't get things to the contrary. And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now that sentence is a pretty loaded bag, by the way. First of all, Jesus says that the natural parents He is is referencing... What, they're what? 
They're evil. You're like, well, he's not talking about me then. Yes, he is. The fact that he says, if you then, who are evil, means you're evil. You're evil. That's not innocuous. This is Jesus talking. And he is laying out an overarching truth to augment what he's already saying here. This is a simple proclamation that humans are, the lot of us, evil. We're evil by nature. So get in Wednesday night mode with me a minute, adults. What is the essential doctrine here? Total depravity. Remember, Jesus is talking to His disciples. Okay? Those who can call God their Father. If you then who are evil, how much more will your Father? He's not talking to lost people here. And He's telling saved people, His disciples, you're evil. They're like, well, that's offensive. Yeah. By nature, it's offensive. He's talking about total depravity. He's talking to His disciples. And He says that they're evil. And they are. Even the best parents are depraved. That doesn't mean that they're deranged and that they give stones for bread or snakes for fish. They're evil. They're not good and pure in and of themselves. Even redeemed disciples. So don't miss that. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children like bread and fish, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? It's an argument called a fortiori. That's your Latin for the day. And what it means, it means how much more. The argument is if this, then how much more this. It's an argument showing something really small contrasted with something really, really big. If human parents give gifts that are good, how much more will God give good gifts to His children? His children. You are evil, and yet you give your kids what they ask for. Well then, how much more do you think God will give His children what they ask for? Jesus is trying to make sure that we see that God, our Abba, our Father, will give us what we ask when we ask because we need it and He knows it. And again, it's important to note the how much more of it. Jesus wants His disciples to see not just the willingness of God to answer His children's prayers, but that He is way more willing and able to do so than any evil, depraved human parent. Jesus wants His disciples to know beyond a doubt that if they are asking, seeking, and knocking, then God will hear, God will answer, and God will give them much more than just basic necessities. He will give much more, much more than we ask. It's important to understand this. It's like saying, if Asa can pick up a five-pound weight... How much more can I? Or better yet, how much more can the Incredible Hulk? How much more? It's exponentially greater because it's contrasting God with us. So if we know how to give our kids what they're asking for, how much does God know how to give what we're asking for? That should give us great boldness and assurance when we approach God and ask, seek, and knock to have Him help us discern and deliver the right judgment and help 
and the discernment and the help that our brother needs and that the dogs and the pigs don't deserve. And we do need help. And God will give it. And as we will see in our last verse for today, He also has already given some very clear direction in dealing with all this. 7.12 So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now for all of you that are sitting here this morning saying, this is for somebody else, it's not for me, listen. It's for all of us. Our last verse today is familiar, right? What do we call it? The golden rule. 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 I don't know. I call it the golden rule, right? It's called that to to show its specialness, its singular importance in boiling things down to specific importance. And what does this rule mean here specifically? Again, it can be yanked out of the context, and it's not wrong or bad but you miss the whole point of it. We're dealing with how to relate to other people and how to discern what is best in either helping them or avoiding them. And sometimes both are necessary. And then we're told to ask, seek, and knock to get God's help in deciphering it all. And now here, Jesus brings it to a head by saying, So. So is a coordinating conjunction. Any grammar nerds know what that means? It means that it connects the last thought with this last thought with the thought or thoughts before it. This, 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 so, this. Don't condemn in judgment. Take the log out of your own eye before trying to help your brother get the speck out of his. Don't give holy things to dogs. Don't cast pearls before pigs since they can turn and hurt you. Not sure how to do this? Ask, seek, and knock, knowing that your father gives way better gifts than your earthly father. So... This infers that this wraps it all up. You want to know a basic guideline on how to deal with people and how to deal in your relationships? A truth that will always work in all of these situations? Here you go. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. Now that's not very hard, is it? But note the specifics of it. In any given situation, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. In any situation, put yourself in the place of the other person and do to them what you would wish they would do to you in that situation. Does that person you are dealing with need corrected? Would they want you to correct them? Is it love to correct them? then do it. Do they not want corrected? Then don't do it. Would you want to be corrected in that situation? Then do it. But what is the motivation? Here you go. It's putting yourself in their place and thinking, asking, and deciding what you think they would want or what you would want if you were them. That's the better way to say it. What would I want if I was them in this situation? What would you want if you were them? You're placing yourself into the equation for the sake of the other person. 
I want to love. I want to serve this person well, so I'm asking to seek their welfare like it was my own. I thought it was interesting in studying this over the past week that this rule was in a lot of other religious writings, but it's always in the negative. They say things that suggest that you shouldn't do anything to someone that you wouldn't want them to do to you. But that's a little bit simpler. That's a little bit more doable in human terms, isn't it? I don't want people to give me wedgies, so I don't give people wedgies. My son's like, the heck you don't. (laughs) Not anymore, I've repented. I mean, that's not too hard, right? I don't want it done to me, so I won't do it to you. The negative's not that hard to omit. It's really not. Just don't do what isn't nice to other people. And this can be done or not be done with human effort. But to care for the other person like you care for yourself? Well, now that would take something better, greater, more divine. Now, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Do for others what you would want done for yourself. And as if that wasn't enough, Jesus ends his sentence with a verbal shotgun blast. For this is the law and the prophets. This basic guideline, this golden rule, Jesus says, is the law and the prophets. This kind of living, this kind of relating to others is the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament. God's law, God's prophetic warnings all come down to treating others the way you want to be treated. That makes this a pretty big deal. Paul says something very similar in Romans 13.10. We've looked at it many times before. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And what did Jesus say back in Matthew 5 and 6 when he's talking about the law? I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And if you're going to be His disciples, you're going to do what He does. And if you're going to fulfill the law like He does, you're going to love other people and you're going to ask, what would I have them do to me if I were in their situation? This is all of the law. This is all of the prophets. You see, this is love. This is putting others in my own place and loving them as if they were me. And this deals with internal motives, hard issues instead of external acts, which is exactly the thrust of this whole Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? It's not about external righteousness. It's about internal righteousness that works itself out into our everyday lives. So, of course, in dealing with other people, we are to deal with them thusly, right? It's the only way that a follower, a disciple of Jesus, can keep the law that Jesus came to fulfill. It's it's supernatural. It is beyond us and our efforts. And it's not possible unless we are helped by God's very Spirit Himself. For this is the law and the prophets. So I keep asking, I keep seeking, I keep knocking. And I keep asking myself... What would I want them to do to me if I were in their place? It's a really big deal. But remember who your father is and how much more he is able to give you what you need. And deal with people asking him for that help, expecting him to do more than you could think or imagine. Man, what a passage.
So let's do what we should do, which is apply it. And again, I know I've said it many times, again, keep in mind that the main theater that we are applying these truths in is in the realm of our human relationships. Our marriages, our co-workers, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our enemies, strangers, neighbors, dogs, pigs, anyone that we may interact with on a human relationship basis. That's where this application is going to come into play. This passage infers that we are doing what we're doing to relate better and more closely with the rest of the image bearers of God around us knowing that how we relate to them is of utmost importance, not just to us, but also to God. So let's look at our points. Three points that are not alliterated, but they're ABC. You can remember that, right? ABC. Ask, believe, care. Ask, believe, care. ABC. Three application points. Ask, believe, care. ABC. Have I said that yet? I think I have. The first one is ask. Listen to me. Please, please, please listen to me. Jason, listen to me. Me, listen to me. We have to engage God consistently when dealing with other people. We cannot, cannot, cannot just do this thing called human relationships simply responding or reacting as we think or as we feel in the moment. We cannot. First of all, we're too fickle. We change. My mood changes with my stomach and my appetite and how long it's been since I've eaten. I'm going to respond to you much harshly when I'm hungry than I do when I'm full. I mean, it's just, that's just the way it is. So can I trust myself in dealing with human relationships? When my wife asks me a simple question, I'm like, what? She's like, what the heck? I can't trust myself. So I've got to ask God for help. We're just too selfish, every single one of us, to just deal with this ourselves. And as such, we will judge condemningly. We will see through log-infested eyes. And we will give holy things to dogs and throw our pearls to the swine. And listen, the damage is catastrophic to our brothers. It's catastrophic to our neighbors. And it's catastrophic to ourselves. So we have to ask, seek, and knock, petitioning God to help us engage the people around us in a way that is good, right, and holy. I mentioned this verse last week, 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. What a statement. Not my flesh or their flesh. I regard no one according to the flesh. This work of not regarding people according to the flesh is work that can't be done when I'm just living and going about my own business in the flesh. Flesh recognizes flesh. I have to have a spiritual discernment that can only come from God. I have to have a spiritual perspective that takes me above the physical plane, the fleshly plane, past my own thoughts and emotions to the perspective of God Himself. I just don't love her anymore. God wants me to be happy. That's the fleshly realm. And that's where most of us live most of the time. And God says, get in the truth. Ask, seek, and knock how to best deal in this relationship. 
regardless of how high I am on myself, I just ain't that smart, y'all. I'm facing an enemy who is highly skilled in playing people against each other, especially in the realm of human emotions. And if you don't think the devil doesn't know how to pit people against each other, you haven't been reading your Bible and you haven't been looking at other people as you walk blindly through this world. You are one of the greatest tools that the enemy uses against other people. And so am I. So I have to be aware of his strategies and schemes. And we can't blame it all on the devil because the bulk of this boils down to our own selfishness. We are so easily offended and we are prone to defend ourselves and go after what we want when we want it instead of seeking the good of others which is how we're supposed to conduct our fleshly human relationships. James says it clearly. We talked about this earlier. We read it earlier. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. But Now keep in mind, being angry with your brother is the same as murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. That gone, the Bible's good. This is us, y'all. This is me. So what do we do? We keep asking. We keep seeking. We keep knocking so that we can enlist God's power through His Spirit that is in us if we are believers to know that we shouldn't judge condemningly. To see clearly with no logs in our eyes because we've dealt with those. To help our brother remove his speck out of his eye and to make sure that we're not giving holy things to the dogs or casting our pearls to the swine. We continually plead with God to help us in our interactions with the people around us. Let me ask you this question. When's the last time you asked God for help in your human relationships? Help me to deal rightly with this person. I think we're real good at praying God onto the other person. God, take care of this person. They're getting on my nerves. Deal with my boss. He's an ogre. Sorry, Hamlet. We're quick to sick God onto other people. We should be much quicker to go to God and say, God, help me to respond rightly in this situation. In the moment, in our quiet, private time of prayer, when we go into our room and shut the door, God, help me to live rightly. May your kingdom come and your will be done through my human relationships today as I relate to people not according to the flesh, but according to your word. When's the last time you said anything like that? It's been a while from, well, it hasn't been a while for me now because I've been studying this all week. And the higher the emotions of the relationship or the conflict, the more desperately we petition God. And we never stop. We keep asking, we keep seeking, and we keep knocking because it's those who keep on, who get, who find, and who have the door open to them. So we ask How should I relate to the people in my life? We also have to believe. Second point is believe. Jesus said in our passage today that God as our Father gives much more and much better gifts than our earthly parents. And He was emphatic in making sure we know and apply this truth. We have to believe that God will answer the requests we throw His way that are for the purpose of helping us interact with people in a godly way. And if you don't believe it, 
it's not much use to think about doing all of this that we're talking about today. Again, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So if your prayer is something like this, God, I need your help in this, but I know they're not going to hear what I have to say. Forget it! Don't even bother wasting the breath. Don't emit the carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Because you're not going to get anything from it. Because you're double-minded and you're not asking in faith. You have to believe that God wants to do this and that God will do this. Well, I ain't never seen it before. (laughs) I come to God. I ask, I seek, and I knock, and I know, and I believe that He both hears and will answer me. If I don't stand firm on that truth, if I don't actively engage Him in faith, I must not suppose that I will receive anything from Him. But if I do, then He will answer. And He will do what only He can do. He will give wisdom and I will respond supernaturally and my relationships will be right and in proper perspective and ultimately God is glorified because He did it. And that's the goal in everything that we do, right? Your human relationships are about the glory of God. Not your wants, needs, and what you expect. Your rights, your privileges. Your human relationships, the way that we interact with each other, is ultimately about the glory of God. And if it's not, don't bother asking. Just don't. you got to believe that God will answer for His glory and for our good. So we ask, we believe... And finally, we do what? We care. The golden rule calls us to do what? Do to others what we would have them do to us. And this rule can and should be the basis for all of human relationships and interactions. All of them! And the basis of that rule is caring about the other person enough to think of them in the same way that you think about yourself. We've already seen this thought pattern in Matthew 5 when Jesus called on us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And all through the Bible, God has said that the two great commandments are what? To love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's why Jesus could say in today's passage that this golden rule is the law and the prophets. Now Jesus didn't call it the golden rule, by the way. We call it that, but it's not bad or wrong. I'm just saying, don't say, well, Jesus said the golden rule is... But it is the law and the prophets, which means it's everything. It's literally everything. So the question is, do you really, genuinely, supernaturally care about other people? Or are you just concerned with yourself? We care about ourselves. John MacArthur said, whose hair did you comb this morning? Some of your moms are saying, well, I have three kids. And I'm like, whose teeth did you brush this morning? Whose clothes did you put on whose body this morning? 
We care for ourselves. That's not a problem. We're naturally self-bent to care for ourselves. But do you genuinely and genuinely, supernaturally care about other people or the other person in this conflict that you're in? If you don't, then all of this is not going to happen. It's not going to work and it's not going to glorify God in your life. You'll care about some people but not about others. You'll react out of anger or fear or resentment or out of joy and excitement and just be a prisoner of what you think and feel. And I promise you, you will misapply all of this. So will I. If this is my mindset, if I'm just concerned about myself, if you don't care about other people. And we can't overemphasize the fact that God has created us to be social creatures, living like Him in community. Even you introverts. We rub up against other people. We crash into them. We smile and wave. We disagree and on and on and on. Such is life. And as long as we are human, this will be true. And particularly as Christians, we have a great high calling to love each other. So we have to do this relationship thing very well. We have to. John points this out in a powerful way in 1 John chapter 2. We're almost done. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, praise God, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Now if you scan over that passage real quick, John makes it clear how we are relate to each other is a, if not the, main indicator of whether or not we are truly followers of Jesus. Verse 9 says, if you hate your brother, you're still in darkness. Verse 10 says, if I love my brother, I abide in the light and there's no cause for stumbling. Verse 11 says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness. And the darkness has blinded his eyes. You don't love your brothers, you're not saved. They're not truly your brothers. That's caring about people. And it's a big deal. You cannot, if you haven't heard anything else I've said today, you cannot be a Christian and not care about people. Especially other Christians. It's impossible. The very seed of the life of God in us brings an affection, a love, a care for others that is not an option, but is rather a divine imperative. Christians are not allowed to not care. They're not allowed to be indifferent or cold or callous toward the people in their lives. And while that love may look different in different situations, even knowing when not to give a holy thing or to cast a pearl, it's all done in love. We sing, they'll know we are Christians by our being right. They'll know that we're Christians by how well we finish an argument. They'll know that we're Christians by 
our love. That's it. That's pretty much it. Jesus says it this way, last verse. This is in John 13, 34-35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So I ask, I believe, and I care. And if I'm not doing those things, I'm not relating to other people the way that Jesus intended me to. Let's pray. God, you know us cold. You know us inside and out. You know our frame that we are but dust. And you give much greater gifts than any evil earthly parent can give. You are able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that we could think or imagine. So help us relate to one another and to the world around us in a way that shows your glory. Help us to ask, seek, and knock and know that you're going to answer and help us to treat other people the way we would want them to treat us. God, that's really simple and it's really impossible outside of your Spirit's help. Help us to settle conflicts. Help us to love and to serve and to bless and encourage and even disagree when we have to along these lines on the basis of what we've seen today. Convict us of our sins. Help us to be those who are quick to confess and repent of our wrongdoing and seek the good of the other person. May we not condemningly judge. May we not hypocritically try to remove a speck while there's a log, a speck in our brother's eye when there's a log in our own eye. And help us to be discerning and not give holy things to dogs and cast pigs, pearls before pigs. We need your help for this, God. And you are quick and willing to give it. Praise you. We honor you for that very fact today. And we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive benediction? Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. You're dismissed. Stay and eat with us if you can.